In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. When asked recently if I had any hobbies, I simply replied, reading. I know in this congregation I am not the only one who would answer that question that way. But stories for me provide a needed escape, as well as widen my experience of the world. I love to read stories about people whose situations life are very different from mine, to not only have a deeper understanding of how others experience the world differently than I do, but also because reading makes me aware of the universality of human needs for home, for love, and for the transcendent God. These needs are wonderfully expressed in my most recent favorite novel, This Tender Land by William Kent Kruger. It is the story of four children who in the middle of the depression run away and take a journey down the rivers of Minnesota, Iowa, and Missouri looking for home. The narrator is 12-year-old Odessus, or Odie, a boy orphaned by the death of his mother and the murder of his father, who with his older brother was placed in a boarding school for Native American children where he encountered unspeakable cruelty and witnessed the further death of loved ones. And the young boy is convinced that he is somehow to blame for all the misery in his life and the lives of everyone he cared about. He called God the Tornado God. In the course of their journey, the children join up with a traveling religious tent revival company led by a faith healer, Sister Eve, complete with white robes. Even though Odie's brother is convinced the whole thing is a scam, Odie convinces everyone to travel with them for a while. And under the gentle tutelage of Sister Eve, he is opened up to the mercy and love of God. One night around the campfire, when Odie recites to Sister Eve all his perceived sins and inadequacies, Sister Eve tells him, if we were perfect, Odie, the light God shines on us would just bounce right off. But the wrinkles, they catch the light. And the cracks, that's how the light gets inside us. When I pray, Odie, I never pray for, 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 for perfection. I pray for forgiveness because it's the one prayer I know will always be answered. These are the words of that particular story that have stayed with me. It has led me to think about my own prayers and how I often pray in faith, hoping my desires and hopes are in line with God's will. But certitude in prayer, that often seems elusive, and yet how true that asking for forgiveness is indeed the one prayer that will be always answered, yes. This is the universal truth our texts today center on. We read in the hearing from Nehemiah in Psalm 78, Israel's story. Israel knows that its story sets them apart from all the other nations. They are the people that God chose to reflect his glory throughout the earth. Though they know they are far from perfect, they are not afraid to recite over and over again their story, either in song or remembrance. Their story is their identity, and their prophets and ministers will not let them forget it. The opening verses of the psalm we read today begin with a plea for the people 
to honor the Lord and his mighty, wonderful works by listening to the dark sayings of old and not hiding them from the children of the generations to come. For when Israel recites its stories, they don't leave out the hard parts where they disobeyed God and where they did not believe in God and did not put their trust in his help. I'm quoting from our psalm. So he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. So mortals ate the bread of angels, for he sent them food enough. Centuries later, new stories are being told. And the story of Jesus feeding thousands of people in the wilderness of the Upper Galilee is so central to the message of God's love that every gospel includes it. This story is foremost about Jesus' love and compassion for people. The context for this story in Matthew is that Jesus has just heard about the execution of John the Baptist, and he desires to withdraw to a quiet place by boat to grieve and to pray. But when he comes ashore, he discovers the crowds have followed him. And the passage states that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them and cured their sick. Jesus knew all of their stories, and he saw their wrinkles and cracks, and his light entered every crevice of their sickness and grief and pain. And then, because it was a solitary place, he fed them. Just as the manna rained down on the people of Israel, the Son of God rained down food for this ragtag crowd of Israelites who were still searching for the bread from heaven. This sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated in his ministry and his death is the love of God that Paul speaks of in Romans. Our passage today is so well known, it has almost lost its rhetorical force. But do you remember the first time you read these words? I do. I was 21 years old and a brand new Christian in much need of personal healing of the separation I had encountered from my own mother when I was six years old. Paul's words absolutely captivated me by pinpointing the crack in my soul that was in dire need of light. Nothing will separate us from the love of Jesus. And I know I am not alone in need of that assurance. Anyone who has loved anyone will eventually suffer the grief of loss and the pain of separation. But what I want you to notice here is the us. Paul was not writing to individuals, but to a community of believers in Rome. If we read between the lines in Romans, we come to understand that this is a church that has experienced division between the Gentile and Jewish believers. This is why Paul needs to explain for the first seven chapters of Romans how the Jewish law relates to both Jew and Gentiles. Each group is chastised for the sins of exclusivity and pride throughout the letter, summed up best in chapter 12 when he exhorts the Romans to not hold too high a view of their personal convictions or their opinions about what is happening. 
Thus, throughout Romans, Paul emphasizes that the church is called by God and sustained by the Spirit. It is not a voluntary society of like-minded people. Far from it. But it is those who are called to be holy and who are very much in the process of becoming holy. Thus, Romans 8 begins with this bold declaration, there is therefore, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has taken care of the judgments of the law, and so we are now set free from the law of sin and death. And the rest of the chapter is about our new lives in the Spirit. The Spirit of God unites us as children of God. The Spirit bears witness to our words when we pray, Abba, Father, and intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. This groaning of the Spirit joins the groaning of creation and our groaning. Even if in our prayers we barely know what to hope for, the Spirit intercedes for us. But note the plural of the pronouns, us. The focus is not only on the individual's walk of faith, but God's redemption of God's people and all of creation with them. Paul's praise of the power of the Spirit through Romans 8 reaches a crescendo when he asks, who will separate us from the love of Christ? The answer could have been simply, no one and no thing. But Paul is not finished with convincing the Romans of God's power in their lives, and so instead he lays out a, a list of challenging possibilities. Among the more deadly possibilities of famine and nakedness and death and peril and the sword, we might miss the everyday challenges that face us and might cause us to think God has left us, or in the words of the recent parable we studied, choke out the weeds. Hardship is the first one he lists. And we can all agree, life is hard. Every day we are presented with choices and struggles, and they wear us down. But hardship also encompasses us in those times when the people we love disappoint us, or we disappoint ourselves. Distress is the next, or as modern life calls it, stress. Stress over things undone or too much to do, or fears over what might happen if we lose control of our lives. For many of us, hardship and stress beget self-protection, self-indulgence, or even self-destruction. In other words, sin. But Paul tells us we can be conquerors of all these things. But do not be deceived. Conquering is not our job. It is God's. We are not promised in this passage that we will never suffer. Instead, we are promised that Christ will absorb and transform our suffering. Through him, the struggles we face can be transformed so that we might endure hardship, so that we might hope rather than worry, experience unity rather than separation. This hope applies to us as individuals and as a community. In the past few decades in Pauline scholarship, 
the controlling idea of the Western interpretation of Romans as applying to individual salvation has come under sharp criticism, and the, sh the result has been a shift in the opposite direction, that Paul is not concerned here with individuals, but simply the incorporation of the Gentiles into God's covenant with the Jews. As I found the pendulum swinging back and forth, depending on which commentator I read, I found the approach of Beverly Gaventa in her book, and it's a very simple, short book that really solidifies the complex ideas in Romans. It's called When in Romans, and it is very, very helpful. She claims we can recast the scenarios in larger terms without altering the underlying structure of the storyline. There is a problem for humanity, and God addresses it. Whether it is a problem for individuals or for the community as a whole, it is nonetheless a problem that is solved by God's intervention. Thus, Paul's solution is for individuals and the community. It is social, cultural, and cosmic. Gaventa compares Paul to Jane Austen. He was accused of writing the same plot in six different ways. The names of the characters change, but the storyline persists. The storyline in Romans is this. The forgiveness Christ uttered on the cross unbinds sin and gives meaning to suffering. The cross teaches us the power and forgiveness and love. God makes an offer we can freely accept or decline, but if we can surrender to God's love, we will not only find peace in his forgiveness, but the power of the spirit of love that overcomes all. Back to the story of Odie. Sister Eve begins by teaching Odie that God always answers the prayer of forgiveness with a yes. But later in the story, when Odie is faced with a disappointment in someone he dearly loves, Sister Eve challenges Odie. Do you think Aunt Julia might need forgiveness? At this point, we come to understand how Odie's journey back to God the God of love and mercy, the God who is home, has a tremendous effect not just on him, but on his band of runaways. Because of Odie's forgiveness of himself and others, those in his world begin to change. His brother Albert loses some of his cynicism. His Aunt Julia changes her circumstances. His Native American friend finds forgiveness is the balm for bitterness. When we are able to take care of ourselves by surrendering ourselves to God's love and forgiveness, when we strip off the bandages that are covering our wounds, we also release God's power to unbind the power of sin in our community and in our loved ones. So each of us also needs to ask in this juncture of our journey as a community, who are the people in our lives we need to forgive? David Benner writes in his book, Surrender to Love, that the point of God's love is to remake us in the image of love. The point of the spiritual journey 
is not simply to be received back into the welcoming arms of the love of Christ, but to become like Christ. So let me end with this challenge for all of us. If God loves and forgives us such that we can never be separated from him, can we not forgive each other? I believe God can transform our community to become again in us that is transformed by the Spirit. Like Israel, our story is not a perfect one, but it can be transformed by the manna of love and forgiveness, each of us embracing God's forgiveness for ourselves that will allow us to walk in forgiveness with each other. Amen.